The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Yeah, so if you guys could turn to the book of John, chapter 5, I'm going to be starting in verse 16 through verse 29. Um, The words will be up on the screen, and also, if you ever, you know, need a Bible, have forgotten your Bible, anything like that, we have this Bible, a lot of these Bibles outside um, right when you come into the auditorium, so feel free to anytime pick one of those up and use it for a service. Um, So John chapter 5, verse 16 says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we just acknowledge the authority that you gave your son Jesus, um, that he has the ability to um, call himself your son and to call himself equal with you, and and you've given judgment to him, um, Father, and that's an act of kindness, that's an act of of grace, um, that all who believe in him will be saved um, and will have life to the full here on earth and um, in eternity, Father, and that's that's exactly what we we look for, um, what we look to in our future. Um, so we just thank you so much for the abundant grace that you've lavished on us and, and the way that you've given us life and, and you've made things new. Um, and so we just look forward to your coming, and, and we love you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Like Randall said, my name is Martin Cachero. Um, I worship and serve at Redemption Church just kind of east of here, and I'm just so excited and so happy, and I feel privileged to be here this morning. Uh, And I do remember those meetings uh, with Randall and our church planning cohort, hearing about the vision of Grace City and and praying for uh, the gathering that that was happening, all the kind of vision casting that happened prior to Uh, launching when you guys launched this past October. And so to come here this morning uh, and to to see that vision um, come to life and and to see all of you fill these seats, gosh, I I thank God for the gospel work. God promises to build his kingdom 
and, and being here this morning um, is, is God is faithful. And so I come here this morning as a fan, as a supporter, and as a brother in and through the gospel work. And so, man, I'm just so excited and I'm so happy that Grace City exists. Uh, and I love the, the vision of, of Grace. And as I look at, out into these seats, um, I don't see empty seats. I, I, I see a vision for the city. Your vision is for the city. And so today I join you as you pray, as you go after the city of San Diego and as this surrounding community because, man, I, w I would love to see grace continue to grow for the gospel roots to continue to kind of sink in the way it already has been and fill these seats into the hearts of people in this community. Um, I'm pretty familiar with the church planting kind of phase um, I'm, I was also part of a church plant. We just celebrated our two years, uh, two year anniversary last Sunday, Mother's Day actually. And so it's fun to be here and kind of see this season, this process that, that you're in. And one, I wanna encourage you uh, and affirm that you guys are in the right place. Affirm the leadership that you have in both um, Randall and, and Laura uh, leading you in and through this, but ultimately it's Christ, head of this church, as he promises to build his kingdom we, we can rest in him. We, can, we will know that the gospel will go out. The power of the gospel continues to go out. I don't know if you know, but today is, is, is the day where the church has celebrated Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit coming in. And I've been here since 9 a.m., kind of just going through the grace experience, if you will. And uh, the Spirit is here. The Spirit is moving and I thank God for who you are. And so, again, I come here as a fan, excited to be here, excited to dive into God's word. Um, but before that, why don't we pray one more time, and then, and then we'll kind of dig in. Sound good? Cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize you at work here at Grace. And, and, and we credit all good things to your provision. Your word says that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us, so will you not give us all things? This church has all things because they have you. They have your son. And so I pray this message of truth for us today and pray that you would speak to us this morning, giving us exactly what we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we kind of dig in into all that text, a lot going on there, uh, question for you, important question. Um, who watches who, Netflix? Any Netflix fans in this room? Yeah? Did you guys watch? Uh, Netflix came out with this series this past uh, winter, uh, Making a Murder. Anybody watch it? Yes? Guilty or not guilty? That's a question. Yeah, I thought he was not guilty. I don't know. I, spoiler alert. Um, it's, it's, it's a documentary, so obviously it's super biased, um, but go watch it. It's pretty good. Um, I, I, you know, it's like 10 episodes, 45 minutes each. I watched it all in like three days, right? Binge-watched all the whole thing during Christmas break. Um, but I, I, I only bring that. I only ask that because today in our passage, uh, the gospel writer John paints for us, kind of invites us to enter in. The, uh, he kind of paints us and invites us into a courtroom is kind of the, the backdrop of our, of our story. Um, John DeRyder, kind of the motif is, is, is there's this trial happening and Jesus is on trial uh, and we're looking at Jesus' work. We're in the middle of, of a sermon series called Faith and Work and today we're looking at the work of Jesus Christ and how his work is described and what it ultimately means and what it ultimately points to. 
Um, and so today I'm making a case, or at least John, the gospel writer, our, our passage makes this case that Jesus, his work points to his divinity, that Jesus is God. And that's the sermon for this morning. Jesus is God, and, and if that's the case, we're, we're asking two questions, kind of two sermon points. Well, is Jesus God? And, and second, if he is, so what? If he's God, what are the implications? What does that mean for you and for me? So, is Jesus God? That's what's on trial. Uh, Jesus is the defendant, and, and, and the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis in the story, the, these Pharisees, are the prosecutors. A little, little bit of background, if you remember uh, the previous story to this passage, uh, verses 1 to 18, Jesus healed an invalid man, right, a paraplegic, sitting by the pool. And he did this on the Sabbath day. According to the Jews, they got him all riled up because he healed this man on the Sabbath day. And so they came to Jesus saying, hey, you broke Sabbath law. And, and, and they're always trying to go after Jesus, right? In verse 16, it says, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But look at how Jesus responds in verse 17. Jesus answered them. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working and it's kind of a weird response. But think about what he's saying here for a moment. My father is working until now as I am working. It's somewhat, of, of, it's, it's somewhat of a confusing response, but Jesus is actually speaking to, to the language of the Pharisees because these Pharisees, these Jewish people, they knew God. They thought, or at least they thought they knew who God was, right? And Jesus here standing in front of them saying, well, God's work is the same as my work. So if Jesus' work is the same as, the, is, as God's, well, what is his work, right? That, that's the first question that we have to ask. So we have to back up. Let's, let's back up to Genesis, where it all started in the very beginning. It says this. Genesis 2-3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When God created the world and rested on the seventh day, did he stop working completely? Well, we know that the Lord omnipotent doesn't grow tired or shouldn't grow tired from a long days of work, right? He's God. Instead, Genesis 2-3 gives us an insight of the, the, the nature of, of God's work. If you go back and study this passage, the verse doesn't say he stopped all work on the seventh day. He says he rested, he stopped work that he had done in the prior six days, the work that he's done in creation he no longer performed the job, the labor of the preceding six days. The truth is God continues to uphold all things. Colossians says all things hold together in God. God doesn't stop working. If God stops working, the whole world would fall apart. That's the work of God. The Jews knew this fact. They knew that. They knew their doctrine. They knew their Old Testament, right? So when Jesus says, my father is working now and I am working, Jesus is making a bold claim. Jesus is saying, God's work is the same as my work. When Jesus compares himself and describes his work the same as the Father's, I mean, this is kind of a real kind of eye-opening, the Pharisees have never heard anything like this. A man saying, I'm God? These Jews were, were already hostile and angry towards Jesus, and Jesus saying this kind of takes everything to a whole new level, and they wanted to kill him. Jesus is claiming to be God. But the same God who created the heavens and the earth in six days, it is Jesus. 
This is what Jesus claims. Jesus didn't just violate the Sabbath law. Jesus was making a blasphemous claim about himself because he is God. According to the Jews, it's blasphemy. But this is who he is. He can't deny who he is. But how could a man claim to be God? Because according to, this, to these Jews, all they've known about God leading up to this point was God in the abstract, right? It, God was a burning bush. God was, was a voice from heaven. God was a pillar of fire in the desert. Not this human being, not this man standing in front of them. But as we sang, God with us, the Emmanuel, he kind of destroys and breaks their understanding of who they thought God was. So in some ways, we can't be too surprised at how they respond to who Jesus is. But they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. They've made up in their minds who they thought who God was. And maybe that's who we are this morning. Maybe that's where we are this morning. Have you ever kind of just thought you've made up in your mind who you thought God was? Maybe, maybe you've already decided that in your head. Maybe you're kind of trying to figure this out. Maybe you don't quite know who God is. For those who are skeptic, skeptics this morning, trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, could it be possible that Jesus is revealing himself to you? God is revealing himself to you different from how you've made him out to be in your head. The text is, is giving us an opportunity to bring forward, bring to the table all our presuppositions about who Jesus is. And I ask that maybe this morning, if you're trying to figure this all out, if you're unsure that maybe you would bring it to the table and maybe God, maybe Jesus is revealing himself to you different from how you've heard him to be, how other people have talked about him or have you made him out to be in your head. But back to our passage, here's what's interesting. Because Jesus could have avoided all this drama. Jesus could have said, well, technically, to the Jews, technically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a carpenter by trade, right? That's what I do during the six, six days of the week. Um, and so healing this man, wasn't. I'm not a medical practitioner, so, so, so technically, I didn't break the Sabbath law, right? He could have said that, right? Um, Jewish people could have said, oh, all right, no, no, uh, no need to argue here, all right? Pharisees, see you later. Bye, Felicia, right? Peace out. Um, but Jesus doesn't. He, he, he kind of, he, he's the one that, takes it there, right? And this is the whole thesis of John's gospel. It's to establish Jesus, not as a good teacher, not as just a good man, not as just another religious man, but to be God. Verse 17, where Jesus says, answered, he answered them. The answer translates in the Greek into a legal term, right? It's the same way as if you were to give your testimony when you're answering in front of the judge in front of the courtroom. It's your legal testimony, and this is how Jesus answers in this passage. So it's Jesus who takes us into the courtroom. It's because he wants us to, and he wants to invite us to check out his testimony. Because if Jesus' claim is right, then he's God. But if he's wrong, then we have no business meeting here on Sunday, today or any other Sunday for that matter. C.S. Lewis, Lewis has a book called Lunatic, Liar, or Lord. Jesus is either one of those three things. Either he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. That's the same question for us today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that God is? 
And, and not the pay the lip service, oh yeah, I grew up in the church, yeah, Jesus is God because I heard it all my life. No, no, is, is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord, is he God of your family, of your money, of your time, of your resources, of your careers, your schedules? R- Randall preached on a sermon in John chapter 4 a few weeks ago, um, the story of, if you remember, of the Roman official coming in, come in, in contact with Jesus. And at first he was a little bit skeptical, but after kind of conversing with Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to, to this uh, Roman official, and the Roman official says, Sir, acknowledges him as Sir, and, and that translated to as Lord. Do we know Jesus only as a religious person, or do we know him as Lord? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because he claims to be God. So how does he defend himself then, right? If, if, he, if he is God, how does he defend himself? Verse 19, and, and, his, and his defense is pretty simple. Verse 19 says this. Uh, the Father loves the Son. That's it. How do we know that Jesus is, is, is Lord? How do we know that Jesus' work is the same as the Father's work? Verse 19, the Father loves the Son. There is a unique love relationship between the Father and the Son that no one else claims. And I know that's kind of obscure, so we, so we, we need to unpack, we need to do a little bit of work uh, based on what that says, right? Uh, the love of the Father a, a, for the Son is, is a, it, it's tested repeatedly in John's Gospel. Uh, it's tested in chapter three, it's tested here, it's tested all throughout uh, the future chapters. But we need to look at how these two, the, the, the love relationship between these two uh, work out. Um, now, I understand that talking about relationships between fathers and sons can be a, a, a sensitive one um, because either we didn't have good fathers or, or maybe we've messed up as fathers um, or maybe we've messed up as, as sons and, or daughters, right? Um, but I hope that, that we would understand and that we would see in the text today uh, that the relationship between God and Jesus redeems in all the places where we have erred as sons and fathers, and mothers, and everything in between. So we see a love described, uh, this unique love between the two, described in kind of two major sections. Uh, first, verses 19 to 20, and then, and then verses 21 to 23. So I'll unpack this for you. Uh, 19 to 20 says, look at how the son and the father relate to one another. How, how does this love relationship work? Look at verse 19. Well, it's 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 the son's complete and perfect obedience to the father. It says he does nothing on his own accord. What, what the father does, the son does also. Um, for, for parents in this room, I'm a parent, I'm a parent of two little girls. You know, our job is, is to model um, and live out to do what we want our kids to do, right? Obviously, that's not always the case. It doesn't work out perfectly. Um, any sons or, or daughters or anybody here struggle with obeying or doing what their father did or the good things that they're supposed to teach you. I know that's true for me. It's true, it's true for my daughters. Um, we fall short of obedience, right? Uh, and, and the, but the son, the way it's described, makes up because his obedience is perfect. Makes up for, for where we lack obedience, he only does what the father does, he says. Now look at the father. How does the father relate to the son? Verse 20 says this. 
the Father shows him all that he himself is doing. You know, maybe our fathers weren't always, uh, weren't always there, or, or maybe they didn't quite show us the ways. They, they didn't do a good job of showing us what it, what it means to be uh, an adult or what it means to grow up. And maybe there's fathers here who have struggled maybe just being present at home and so, so never see our kids so, they, so we don't even model it for them. Know that God, the true Father, is present in every single way and makes up where we've missed it. It makes up, makes up for us where our fathers and mothers or whoever have missed it. This father and, and, and son language idea, really, as Jesus is speaking to the Jews, remember his context. He's, he's speaking to um, antiquity, right? He's, he's speaking to the ancient Near East. So this father-son language really is, 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 is their language. And so we have to put on our antiquity lenses for a second. Antiquity is just, just Jesus' time. Fancy word for Jesus' time. Um, because in the ancient Near East, you were either the son of the woodworker the, the son of the baker, uh, right? The, the same model is being used here, right? Skills, trade, um, uh, all, that, all the father's gifts, his inheritance, it's passed on and, and it's, it's given to the son. We don't really understand it in our culture because we're very individualistic. Like my dad was a military man. I ended up in the church, in the ministry, right? So it, it doesn't really quite translate in, in our day and age, but this is kind of who Jesus is speaking to. But Jesus is so uniquely the Son of God that, that, that uh, the Son, uh, that the Father shows him, the Father shows of himself, all of himself to the Son. What, what does God show Jesus? Well, holiness, perfection, godliness. Just as a farmer shows his Son all there is to be a farmer, God reveals all of his divinity through Jesus. And that's why the son does all that the father does, because he does it in perfect obedience. And God shows all of himself to the son. And it's contingent on the father loving the son. Indeed, it goes the other way. The son, he does this because the son loves the father. John 14, 31 says, For, uh, But I do as the father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the father. Here's what all of this means. Let me kind of wrap, wrap that up. You see, the son and his perfect obedience is acting in such a way that it reveals the father. It's, and it's foundational to understanding the story or, 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 or the gospel of John because the father commands it and Jesus does it. The father grants and Jesus carries it out. Jesus is showing, revealing through his life, through his obedience, who God is. The perfect obedience show us what God is like. Perfect. The very obedience of Christ is the mechanism by which God reveals himself to us. Let me say that again. The very perfect obedience of Christ is a mechanism by which God reveals himself to us. So when you see Jesus, you see God the Father. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Want to know what God is like? Want to know God? You've got to know Jesus. Because what we know about Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, who we say Jesus is, matters. Our, uh, 
our American ambassador in France is this woman named uh, Jane Hartley. And, and Jane Hartley has incredible power because uh, she represents our country. She represents the U.S. president. Uh, so what she says and decides uh, in, in our relationship with France, it's as if, so if she says something, it's as good as if the president himself said it, right? If, she, if, if, if America wants to build relations with France, uh, it's as if the president himself was there, present, making that relationship happen. But, but if France decides to reject America, it's as good as, re- or if, if France decides to reject uh, the France ambassador, um, Jane, it's as good as rejecting America. It's as good as rejecting the president himself. So what you say about Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, ultimately is how we respond to God. Who do you say that Jesus is? How do we respond to Jesus? The second kind of way that God unpacks for us this, this unique love relationship is in verses 21 to 23. How do these verses depict a unique love that the Father has for the Son? Well, we'll pay attention in our text real quick too to the verbs attributed to Jesus, right? In verse 21, the Father gives life, Son also gives life. Uh, just as God has the authority to give life, so does the Son. So does Jesus. And then verse 22 takes this idea even further. Verse 22 says, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Who judges the world? Not the Father, it's the Son. And then verse 23, the Son receives honor. It no longer describes what Jesus does, but what is due to Jesus. The same way that we are to honor the Father, we are to honor the Son, Jesus himself. He receives honor. This is his purpose. It's the same as the Father. Son is one with the Father, not only in activity, but in honor. All throughout scriptures, you know, where, where, where people would bow to Jesus and claim to him as Lord, Jesus never rejected it. He receives it because he is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 and 11 says this, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on an earth and under the earth, and everything con- every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, right? We honor Jesus. We honor, this, we honor Jesus the same way that we honor God. So to conclude Jesus' defense Right? What these arguments say about Jesus, his argument says, the Father's love for the Son is described in such a way that they are equal. You cannot honor God in the Bible without re- while rejecting his Son. You cannot truly believe in God if you don't truly believe in his Son. Because to reject Jesus is to reject God himself. I know talking about God in, in, the, in, in the different roles, the three persons, the Father, Son, and the Spirit can be very confusing and kind of this, the Trinity is just this lofty, confusing idea. Um, but just to kind of just help maybe just kind of organize this a little bit um, and, and not to exclude the, the Holy Spirit in our text because we've been talking about the Father and the Son, but God exists as one. One true God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
God is, God is the one who has planned the story of redemption, planned the gospel. It's his plan. He reveals it. Jesus, the son, is the one who carries out the gospel. He lives it out. And the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts, applies it to our lives daily. So if Jesus is God, so what? What are the implications then for us? Well, it matters. Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because to know Jesus is to know God. That's why Jesus came. It's, it's by uh, this revelation that we can have faith. It's through Jesus. Look at verses 25 to 30. There is an hour coming when the dead will hear his voice. Hear his voice. And those who hear will live. Verse 27, there, there's a mention of judgment. Uh, and then verse 29, there's a mention of resurrection of life. And then, more, and then more mention of judgment. And then finally in verse 30, there's more mention of Jesus judging. So our verses conclude with Jesus judging and, and, and about this life that is to be judged. Essentially, what is, being, what is summed up here in these verses, life, what's at stake is life and death. What's, what's at stake is life and judgment <clears throat> and how we relate to Jesus and what we believe about Jesus has life and death implications. Jesus is saying to us the same thing that he's telling to these Pharisees. And he actually flips the script. You see, Jesus isn't the one who's on trial. The Jews are on trial. He's asking these Jews, who do you say that I am? Because how you answer has life and death implications. He flips the script on us. He's asking us, we're the ones on trial. He's asking you, we are to account for how we answer this question. What you say about Jesus has life and death implications. Jesus isn't just a prosecutor either. He's the judge. Judgment he brings, Matthew 10.34 says this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Later on in Revelations, he talks about um, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations. What is the sword? Judgment. God is a holy God, and he cannot ignore sin. And sin has to be paid for. So there is judgment. The world, you and me, are the ones on trial. And we will have to give account for all the laws that we have broken, all the sins in our life, sins that we are not even aware of. And we will stand before the judge one day and present our, our portfolio, if we will, our good deeds, if you will, our work. And our work will always fall short. The Bible says that our work is like, our deeds are like filthy rags. And I know that's kind of a hard pill to swallow because, well, I want to do good. I, I think I'm a good person. In comparison to the one who has perfect obedience, we fall short. Our best attempts will always fall short. So how do we plead? If we're honest with ourselves, we plead guilty. We're guilty. We deserve judgment. When we stand before the judge, I have nothing to show for it. So we need hope. We need mercy. We need grace. What, what hope do guilty people have? Well, mercy and grace. 
Because if Jesus is the God who gives life, if Jesus is the God who, who gives pass to judgment, according to verses 25 to, to 29, then who, who does he let pass through judgment? Who does he give life to if I'm guilty? Look back in verse 24. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's given to whoever uh, believes. It's given to whoever hears the word of God. If you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. Who is given eternal life? Well, it's the one who hears God's word. It's the one who believes in God's work. Believe in Jesus himself. John 10, 17 says, for faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Who passes judgment? Who gives faith? Well, it's, it's believing that you're guilty and believing that you, are, that you are redeemed in Jesus. Because to believe in Jesus is to believe in his perfect life, to believe in his death, and to believe in the resurrection after the cross. You know, on the cross, Jesus' last words were, it is finished. It's finished. What is there left to do? It's finished. We can't do it. It's finished. Look to his work. That's how we believe. That's how we're past. And then notice in verse 27, his title from son of God, right, all throughout this passage, he's the son of God, it changes to son of man, right? The title son of God deals with his representation of his deity, Son of man, because he's also human, fully God, fully human, God and Abad, right? Um, Son of man is, is his representation for humanity, for us. He's our ambassador, but more than that. You know, we're, we're familiar with that famous verse, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. But do you know what it says following that? Let's look at it real quick. 24 to 26 says this but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as appropriation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. There's more good news. It was to show his righteousness as the present time so that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. What does this all mean? Here's where the gospel comes in, and we'll kind of start to close out here. Jesus is the judge, and we stand before the judge. And we present to him our portfolio that says, yeah, some good works, but mostly not so much, not so good. And Jesus, as our judge, looks at us, and, 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 and here's what he does, and here's where the gospel comes in. He leaves his seat and gets off the bench. And he gets down and he walks alongside us. And he says, Martin, step aside. Let me stand in your place. And he takes his portfolio that says perfect, that says finished. And he puts it on top of mine and yours. And so what are we judged by? His perfection. But see, it doesn't end there. We are set free because we get his perfection. 
But who pays for our sins? Well, he takes our portfolio and he bears it. He goes to the cross and he pays for our debt that we would never pay. He is both just and justifier because Jesus lives the life that we are supposed to live. Jesus dies the death that we are supposed to die. He is both just and justifier. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That is what we need in our life. That is what we need to hear every single day. Because I don't know about you, but I continue to sin. I need, to go, I need God to intercede his, his perfection by the power of the Holy Spirit every single day in my life. Why does this matter? I'll end with kind of just two ideas. It matters because it has life and death implications. What you say about Jesus has life and death implications for you. We're talking this morning about uh, kind of how God has been kind of working in our lives and what it means to kind of look back in the last 10 years and then look forward in the next 10 years. And to us, I mean, those are long periods of time. But in the grand scheme of things, in our lifetime, average 80 years is this compared to eternity. And we make decisions based on this minuscule part of our lives. We have eternity to consider. What you say about Jesus will determine this. Why else this matters? Because if you truly believe that Jesus is the one, Jesus is God, Jesus has stood in your place in every single way, then we find redemption, we find satisfaction, we find love, we are affirmed in Jesus in such an incredible way. We don't need to be affirmed into the things of this world. Relationships, money, people, circumstance. We don't need those things to fill us if we're filled in Christ. Instead, we look to this world to affirm, to love, to be there, to point to the one that fills us. All these empty seats need to hear this message. If this message is true for you, do what, do, do what a lot of your friends are doing and bring somebody new, somebody that needs to hear this message. And if this message is true, then what you guys do here every single Sunday, when you guys gather and when you meet, matters. I know in this season of church planting, it's exciting, it's scary, and sometimes it could be a grind. Amen? <laughs> a lot of work to make this happen. But it's the best kind of work that you could be a part of. So I affirm and encourage the gospel work that you are a part of. God says he who is faithful to, to begin a good work will be faithful to complete it. So in times of discouragement, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our life. I cannot wait to maybe come back, I don't know, six months, a year, to see how the gospel continues to grow deep roots in Grace City. So get involved. Participate in the life of the church. Ministry, city groups, all the different ways that your church leadership has, has kind of uh, put in front of you. Thank you for allowing me to kind of celebrate you today. 
for proclaiming our Lord. Um, we worship and celebrate um, and think of you often from the other side of uh, San Diego. And so, um, thank you. And, and um, God is good. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for today. And, and thank you for uh, this family bearing with me with a long sermon. Um, but we also thank you, Father, for your word, for your word is good, for your word is alive and active. May your words cut us to the heart this morning. These words, truths, life-giving, transforming truths. We promise that when your word goes out, it does not return void. I pray that to be true this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.